I'm Tavis Smiley, uh, and uh, I'm delighted to have you uh, hanging out with us um, in this th- third and final hour uh, of today's show. It's been quite a show today. I've enjoyed uh, these first two hours immensely, and I, I expect this hour will not disappoint. In this hour, and live in studio with us, is Pamela Smith. Um, uh, and she's all about challenging educational norms and fighting back for black representation, which explains why she is a fierce advocate for, wait for it, homeschooling black children. So should you homeschool or consider homeschooling your black child? We will talk about that and more in this hour. Now that Pamela Smith joins me live in studio. Pamela Smith, good to see you. How are you today? I am good, Tavis. Thank you for having me. It's my great honor to have you on. I'm glad to have you in studio. I was asking um, you, I, I, was, I, I know you don't live in L.A., so I was asking what you're doing in L.A., what brings you here. You told me that. You're working on a book. We'll talk about that maybe later in this conversation. But I asked you where you live, and you told me you live in? Montana. How many Negroes are in Montana, Pamela Smith? <laughs> I think it's about five of us. <laughs> That's my family. <laughs> It's about five. <laughs> I, I've only been to Montana once. There, there is some college in Bozeman, Montana. Yes. And I remember speaking there some years ago. Uh, but I, uh, but it was beautiful. I mean, I loved Montana. Is a beautiful, beautiful place. Again, I've only been there once, but I loved it. But how how did how did the, how did you get to Montana? Ah, uh, we were actually looking for snow. Uh-huh. Like we flew into. Hold on, hold up. Black people looking for snow. <laughs> yes. Okay. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. One year we <laughs> wanted our children to see snow. We flew into Denver, and there was no snow. So we looked on the map the only place that had snow was in Essex Montana mm-hmm. and so we drove 17 hours mm-hmm. chasing snow we found snow and then we just fell in love with the state that's a lot of love for your babies yeah to drive 17 hours to show them snow snow yeah wow because we you know I was born and raised in the south south mm-hmm. Georgia mm-hmm. you know we don't see snow our kids we wanted them to see it so yeah yeah. Yeah. Um, what is it like? Um, we'll get to homeschooling in a second. But but what what is it like living in a state? Um, I was talking to somebody yesterday in Iowa. I've been to Iowa a number of times. There are a few more black folk in Iowa than there are in Montana. But what's it like living in a place where there is such a dearth and paucity of black life and black culture? It is challenging because your children are not seeing themselves in the mm-hmm. community. So we are challenged with taking our kids traveling but being a homeschooling family it allows us to Mm -hmm. travel to so our children can see that diversity Um, but what is there is there are there is a huge as you know indigenous Mm -hmm. population there so we have immersed ourselves in the learning about the different tribes Mm -hmm. in montana yep um this is getting good i'm loving it we didn't even got to the subject yet um but it all connects um tell me what 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 one takes away what one black person what black people take away from immersing themselves into their story. We live in a world where people, you know, we're always challenging folk to understand our story better. Uh, And I correct people all the time when they refer to slavery as America's original sin. It wasn't. I know you're well-intentioned when you say that, but you can't forget the natives and what they did to them. We were not. Slavery was not America's original sin. So I always correct people when they say that, again, although they're well-intentioned. But what is it like when one is surrounded by, because most of us are not, you're living a very unique experience, and I want to probe it right quick here. What is it like when you you find yourself, to your point, being immersed in a community of natives, not white folk, not black folk, but natives. Yeah, it's different. It's definitely different, but I see some parallels. Mm-hmm. I see Tell the me. way white folks treat indigenous people there. Um, and a lot of the stuff that black folks experience in the other states, I find that the indigenous people are policed mm-hmm. like blacks are. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're dealing with a lot of the stuff that we deal with in all of the states where there are more of us. Mm-hmm. 
And so, um, you know, you have this arrogance about a lot of white people there that, you know, um, they look down on the natives, you know, and they're not understanding the history of how they got there. Mm -hmm. And so I find myself educating a lot of them who have been there a lot longer than us to understand the indigenous people and why a lot of them live below the poverty poverty line mm -hmm. there, you know. So, yeah, it's definitely um, it's 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 been eye opening. Yeah, um, I've got one or two more questions about Montana. Believe it or not, <laughs> that I want to I want to uh, pose uh, to Pamela Smith. And after we do uh, this Montana thing, we'll talk about this homeschooling thing. You're listening, and I'm glad about it. To Pamela Smith right now on Tavis Smiling. From the Merc Park with love, love this love. is Tavis Smiley. Smart talk for curious people just like you. You're listening to Tavis Smiley. Smiley. Tavis Smiley and Pamela Smith talking about homeschooling and why you should uh, consider schooling, uh, homeschooling your black child. We ain't got to that part yet, as they say that part. We will do that in a moment, but I'm just fascinated by her backstory because she lives in Montana. I asked her how many black folk in Montana. She's about five of us. Uh, so I've been fascinated by this Montana thing. And there are a couple of things I want to ask. I want to ask you about that. Um, let me let me um, preface it with this. I was saying to you during the commercial break that some years ago I was doing a documentary in China. Hmm. And I, uh, I tried to be and still try to be good to my people, my team. And so I, I, I did, some, did some inquiry and I was able to, for a very, 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 very minimal cost, uh, I was able to invite my entire company to go to China with me. Now, I was working doing a documentary, but I arranged for them to have tours of the country. I arranged all this stuff for my team. I always did nice stuff for my team. One night, I took them to Vegas, flew my whole company to Vegas wow. one night for a Prince concert, hung out with Prince all night in Vegas. I tried to be nice to my people. So I arranged for them to go to China with me, uh, and um, for a very minimal cost, uh, they went. Uh, and we were there for like 10 days, I think. And they saw all of China just had an amazing time. Uh, and I will never forget for as long as I live, the stairs everywhere we went. Because when you see 35 Negroes walking down the streets of Beijing <laughs> or 35 Negroes walking down the streets of Shanghai, it stopped. I mean, I, when I say it stopped traffic, I mean, literally, wow. there were there were accidents. It stopped traffic. There's a lot of traffic in Beijing. China's a big, a lot of billions of people, right? Right. But we literally walked on the sidewalk, uh, Pamela, and traffic would stop. Wow. Seeing these black people walking down the sidewalk, and my team got a taste of what it feels like to be a celebrity because everywhere they went in China, they were celebrities. Wow. Everybody wanted photos. Everybody wanted to meet them. Everybody wanted to touch their hair uh, because. Obviously, China, a very homogenous society. They'd never seen black people, certainly in mass, walking down these streets. And we were there for like 10 days, as I said. So it was an amazing time for my team. And I think an amazing time for all these, I mean, everywhere we went, restaurants. And we couldn't go anywhere where they didn't feel like they were celebrities. Because wow. everybody was stopping them wanting to take pictures. You see where I'm going with this, yeah. right? Um, <laughs> is that how it feels to live in Montana? Uh, not that much, okay. but nobody's asking for autographs, right. but people are definitely staring. Right. Like you go into Walmart. It's to a point now that I have to do like Walmart pickup right? because people sometimes stop and just look at you in the aisles of Walmart. And it's mostly their children, mm -hmm. which tells me that the kids just do never, not. They've never seen it. They've never seen they've it. They've never seen it. They, and it concerns and it, it, me. And this yeah. is 2024. 2024. And they, I, I, little kids will stop and look up at you as if they saw a ghost. Yeah. 
Yeah, know? it's how, how how do you navigate those moments? Uh, you, you, you and your family. Yeah, it's hard and um, it's very it's it's tough, especially when my daughter went to dance class and a little girl was asking if the brown would come off of her hand. Mm-hmm. Um, I try my very best to protect my children. Um, but it is it's definitely it's challenging. Yeah. You know, um, I'm getting more used to it. And now I just say, well, you know, they've never seen a beautiful black queen before, you, you know. Yeah. Um, but it is I wish more people would, you know, really educate their kids because it's and, and really expose them to diversity yeah. um, because it's very obvious that they've never you know, encountered, you know, is, it, does, does that this is getting fascinating for me. I'm, I'm a curious person, as you can tell. Do, does that um, lead to your feeling a certain pressure to, as we say, represent? And, and I ask that question because I've been in obviously I have never lived in Montana, but I've been in a variety of spaces and a variety of places in my career where I was the only black person allowed in. And there is this responsibility I felt uh, in those moments and still feel to represent the, uh, for our people. I recognize that when and where I enter, the whole race enters with me. And if I succeed in that space, there's a chance somebody else who looks like me may get a chance. If I fail miserably, I'm foreclosing on the opportunity for somebody else to have an opportunity. So I've always felt this pressure in my career, as you may know, I've done a number of firsts, first black person on NPR, first black person on PBS, first black person. I've done a lot of that in my career, and I'm grateful to God for the opportunities to do that. But I know something of this pressure to sort of represent when you're the first or you're the only one. So when people look at you and they've never seen a family that looks like yours, is there any sort of pressure that you feel to to represent or to enlighten them or to you tell me? Absolutely. I find myself just like a historian there, just teaching. I'm teaching all the time. You know, my neighbors, every conversation ends up in me educating them Mm -hmm. because, you know, with my kids if they go to any type of sport we connect with any of the parents it always there's a there are some white folks in montana who are adopting children from africa Mm -hmm. and they're bringing kids from ethiopia and they're bringing kids from haiti and i'm finding myself it's kind of like almost a calling to educate these white folks who are thinking they can bring black children into this white state and because of their whiteness their black kids are going to be exempt from that. And they can't do their hair. Right. And then they can't do their <laughs> hair. And, and, and I'm getting stopped having yeah. literally in the grocery store yeah. where white mothers are asking me if I can braid their kids hair. Mm-hmm. Part of me feels like I want to run. Mm-hmm. And then part of me says, perhaps you're called mm-hmm. to educate here and to represent here. Yeah. I'm glad you went there because my next question was going to be, and I'll still oppose it. Um, I am sure there's a bunch, there are a bunch of Negroes listening right now, a bunch of black folk tuned in right now, <laughs> who are asking Pamela Smith why, 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 why stay in that setting? Why stay in Montana? I feel like I we were called there. Honestly, okay. we feel drawn there. We own 46 acres overlooking the largest freshwater lake west of the Mississippi. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Some black people own 46 acres of land in Montana. We do. Yes. Overlooking the Mission Mountains, the Swan Mountains. Absolutely gorgeous property. I purchased the property because of what our ancestors were promised and didn't Mm -hmm. get. And so, you know, four years ago, land prices were super low out there. And so we purchased that Mm -hmm. to start homesteading and the Mm -hmm. peace and the tranquility um, there is just amazing. I'm glad you went there. That's my. La- I think this is my last question. I'm just fascinated, as you can tell by your living in Montana. Uh, you mentioned peace and tranquility, two beautiful words. 
And I was just reading some data the other day. Um, this program is syndicated across the country, and we're expanding our syndications. I was looking at some data the other day with uh, my friend Rob, who manages our syndication. And it's fascinating for me that almost 90%, not quite, but in the high 80s, in the high 80th percentile, black folk in this country live in the top 10 cities. We are urban dwellers. No surprise there. We're everywhere. But most of us in the 80th percentile live in the top 10 cities in this country. We're talking L.A. and New York and Chicago and Philly and Atlanta and Dallas and Houston, all those places. We live in these top 10 cities, uh, most of us. Uh, And so you want to talk to black people, you can find them in these spaces, right? But you're completely outside of that being in Montana. But there is a value, I believe, I can only speak for Tavis. Whenever I get a chance to go to Montana or to Idaho or other places like that, there's a peace and a calm and a tranquility that you can't find Mm -hmm. anywhere else in this country. Right. Not in these top 10 cities, especially. And so I wonder whether or not, again, we would just we just spent an hour on this program, again, connecting these dots here, talking about uh, intergenerational trauma. We started the last hour uh, on this program talking about this book called Madness, Race and Insanity in a Jim Crow Asylum, about the ways in which they have maltreated black folk in mental hospitals and institutions for years in this country. Uh, the story is told about this place called Crownsville State Hospital in Maryland. The second half of last hour, we talked to a, 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 a brilliant doctor. You probably heard Dr. Mario Bouquet talking about how we navigate generational trauma, what's happening to our babies in real time, what they're being exposed to every day, what that means for their lives in the coming years. So all of that is part of our story, right? But being able to get away from that and going to a place like Montana where it is as pristine and as beautiful, as picturesque as you described it, I think there's value in that. That's a long way of saying or asking whether or not black folk might be benefited If some of us got out of the cities and went to places where there's a little more peace and a little more tranquility, I recognize, as you said earlier, that people still going to see you for the anomaly that you are. But there's a balance there, I think, with peace and tranquility. But that's just me. You tell me. Yeah, I, I tell people all the time because on social media, I get people say, what are you doing in Montana? You know, you guys got to be careful. But honestly, I from from looking at the statistics and everything and looking at the um what goes on in the inner cities mm-hmm. you don't really hear about stuff like that happening in a place like Montana because it's very few of us. Yeah, yeah. I feel like it's not enough of us to be a threat to them. Mm-hmm. That that's just my, mm-hmm. you know, analysis. But I really don't have issues with racism. I've been pulled over by cops. Yeah. You know, they look shocked to see us, but I've, I don't I have not experienced the stuff that I experienced when we were living in South Georgia, yeah. Florida. Yeah. I've experienced more racism there yeah. than I've experienced in Montana. Can you I, I assume you can. Um, and it may very well be. I was saying earlier on this program that when you're on the when you're on the float, you can't really see the parade. You got to get off the off the float to see what's going by. Right. I suspect this may be true that when you leave Montana and you get exposed to this madness that's out here uh then you appreciate even more so i suspect the peace and tranquility of getting back to montana but i assume you can actually feel that internally that peace and tranquility of being in a place like that yes it is absolutely peaceful i mean just the wide open spaces just the you know it's less populated montana is one of the um um, most less they're the less populated least populated populated in um the country Mm -hmm. 
Um, but definitely it, it's there are some trade offs there. But we absolutely love the the piece that we have. Yeah. Okay. I'm 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 gonna let that go. Um, but I, as you can tell, just curious and fascinated by what it's like to live as a black family in a place like Montana. I get it. Now, to the reason you really came to this program today, and that is to talk about talk about homeschooling, uh, but I love the backstory of people's lives, and so I, I never, I hope you don't feel bad about me asking Oh, you no, I want you to come visit us. Uh, okay, I'll do that, I'll do that. <laughs> I, I can I, I can use some peace and tranquility yes. right about now, and once I get through Black History Month, I will need it. Yes. So I, <laughs> and once, once I get past February, you may, I may be knocking on your door in, yes. in Montana for a couple of days. If y'all got a room somewhere, yes. I'll come hang out for a couple of days. Uh, that said, um, we're talking about homeschooling. I want to talk about homeschooling. Uh, and you are, you're a huge advocate for this. And this is not the first time I've had a conversation about homeschooling. But I'm having it now because every study, every survey, every bit of data that I'm reading suggests to me that black families more and more are considering homeschooling for a variety of reasons. But the numbers are, are, are incontrovertible, that more black families are are, are are coming to the conclusion that, that that homeschooling their babies is best for them. If not for um, subject matter and curriculum, uh, there's the issue of safety and security and wanting to protect their children from all the madness that's out there. Um, but there are a lot of reasons that people choose uh, to homeschool their children. Tell me why you all chose to make that decision. We chose to homeschool almost 16 years ago. Mm -hmm. um, we were living in South Florida, and we did as a lot of black folks do when you start making money, mm -hmm. right? You think you should be in the best neighborhoods, you know, the white neighborhoods, the white schools. Our children were in a predominantly um, white private school, which was a Christian school. Mm -hmm. um, and we felt like, our, you know, being in a Christian school, our kids would be protected not understanding the anti-blackness in the school. Mm -hmm. And so with our oldest two daughters being in that school, we experienced so much racism and uh, microaggressions that I made the decision way back then to start homeschooling. Mm -hmm. Because when you have a teacher say to your child, well, my daughter, for example, in third grade told her teacher that we were going on a vacation in Colorado. Mm -hmm. Her teacher said, how is it that your family is able to go um, on a vacation is it because of your dad's job mm -hmm. so black folks can't take a vacation unless mm -hmm. they so mm -hmm. it was incidents like that and then my oldest daughter began to I saw her character changing mm -hmm. where she wanted to straighten her hair to look like the white girls mm -hmm. you know and she no longer liked her corally hair mm -hmm. and so I knew that my children are not reflected in the curriculum they were not reflected among the teaching staff and they were not reflected among their peers. And I saw the damage that was being done. So I made the decision to um, start homeschooling. And thankfully, my husband agreed to that. Mm -hmm. um, when you say damage, um, I know you meant that. That's a strong word. Yeah. Though, when you say your kids were being damaged by their private school. Right. They were being damaged because when you're teaching my children that when they're not seeing... When when the curriculum is not culturally relevant, mm -hmm. in my opinion, there's damage being done when they're being taught that Christopher Columbus was an honorable guy. Mm -hmm. You know, when they're being taught to look down on their ancestors, when they're only being taught about Dr. King and, and Malcolm X is intentionally left off mm -hmm. to me does damage to the black child. Mm -hmm. um, the black child needs to see themselves reflected when they don't see themselves reflected. They lose interest in it, mm -hmm. in what they're being taught.
You know, they're being they're going to lose interest in school. Mm-hmm. And so to me, in order to raise up strong leaders, we have to really look at how they're being educated. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just curious on your personal story and then we'll go we'll go broad here. Did you and your husband decide uh, or, or have occasion or, or, or have need to challenge the school that they were in in any way? Or did you just notice how your children were changing and decide to pull them out? Did you did you my, my, my question is whether or not you went to the school at any point in time about anything? I did. The headmaster okay. went to the headmaster of the private school down there in South Florida, had a talk with him. He did. He did the normal thing where he said he was going to look into something and he never did. And so I, by the third time going to him, I said, you know what, I'm just going to take, I'm going to take charge of their education, you know? So I just could not take that. I didn't want to continue to go, go back and forth. That's a big responsibility though. Um, It's one thing to see your kids being damaged um, to your word. It's another thing to then say, okay, I'm taking them out of this school and putting them someplace else. It is a far different thing, though, to say that I'm going to take responsibility for it and homeschool them. Why did you jump from A to C and not A to B? Um, because we started with the public school. Right. And so you'd, you'd already done that is my well, is yeah, that was the okay. second straw. <laughs> <laughs> public school. The problem, the big problem there was the FCAT down in Florida uh-huh. and they were teaching to the test. Yeah. And the anxiety that my daughter felt mm-hmm. from a, a test. So that's why we went over to we thought it would be better in the private school. And when we saw the, you know, okay, they're losing their identity here. So then the only other thing for us was to homeschool. All right. So um, I've laid the foundation or she has laid the foundation for how they made that decision. When we come forward, we'll talk more broadly uh, about the benefits and, frankly, the challenges. uh, Because none of this stuff is ever easy when you commit yourself to it. That's the commitment's one thing. Then you got to follow through on the commitment, right? So we'll talk about the benefits to homeschooling black children and the challenges therein. Our guest is Pamela Smith, who you're listening to right now on Tavis Smile. Unapologetically progressive. progressive. Unapologetically black. Black, black, black. You're tapped into Tavis Smiley. Tavis Smiley. Let's get back to more of Tavis Smiley right now. Our guest is Pamela Smith, and we are talking about homeschooling uh, uh, and uh, whether or not you ought to consider that for your black baby, uh, black children. As I said moments ago, uh, the data is incontrovertible. Um, More and more black families are choosing for a variety of reasons to homeschool their children, a decision that Pamela Smith and her husband made. I want to give him his first name. Reginald. Reginald. Okay, I don't want to just keep calling your husband. He's listening. Okay. Hey, Reginald. (laughs) Uh, A decision that Pamela and Reginald made uh, for their five. Five kids. Babies. Um, What is it like when you make a decision, uh, and at the time you didn't have five babies, but when you made a decision to homeschool your children, you had how many then? Um, At the time there was only two. There was only two. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, But it worked obviously well enough for those two that you continued with the other three. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely was so many challenges to it. Um, But yeah, it definitely... We've graduated those two now. Okay. So we'll get to the benefits in a moment. We'll do the benefits uh, secondly. But let's start with the challenges because people need to be, you know, you, you got to be transparent about this, right? Um, it's not easy to do. It's important to do. It's vital to do for you and Reginald. It's necessary. And others are feeling the same way. But there are challenges, as one might expect. So tell me first about the challenges. Then we'll talk about the benefits. Um, the challenges, it's, you know, really is one of the biggest things is 
a lot of parents think that you have to be a teacher. Mm -hmm. And what I learned is through all of the trials is that you are a facilitator. Mm -hmm. When you as a black parent educate, you know, make the decision to home educate, you become a facilitator. Meaning like, for example, my daughter right now is in ninth grade. She's studying. um, She's in algebra one. Mm -hmm. I don't remember algebra one. So I facilitate that by hiring a tutorer to help her through her algebra one mm-hmm. lessons. And, you know, one that's one of the biggest things is like, I don't want to teach my kids chemistry. I can't teach chemistry, mm-hmm. but learning that you are a facilitator, there's so many online programs out there and things available that wasn't available 20 years ago, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so yeah, one, those are one of the challenges. Also when you have multiple kids, you know, like me, I have a two year old at home. So, you know, balancing the demands of a two-year-old with my 11-year-old son is, you know, that's another challenge. Mm-hmm. When you have to work, because during that time of this 16 years of us homeschooling, we, we've also built a business. Mm-hmm. So how do you, you know, how do you balance business or a job with homeschooling? You know, so those to me, that's some of the, the most challenges. And then their learning styles. Mm-hmm. What do you do if you have a child that's bouncing all over the place, you know? Um, and then curriculum. How do you find curriculum? You know, those are all the things that are are really challenging when you first start homeschooling. Yeah. What 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 have you learned? And this is fascinating for me. What have you learned about the various ways that your children learn? And I ask that because it it it, it lends, for me at least, a greater sensitivity to teachers in public schools who are teaching a class of thirty five students, and they all have different styles, different ways of imbibing the lesson plan, right? That's not easy. Right. Uh, and that's why I say I think teachers are the most undervalued folk in this country, and no question about it in my mind. We just don't respect and value teachers in the way that we, in the ways that we should. But as a parent who's doing this in real time at home every day, what have you learned uh, about uh, how to navigate uh, the difficulty of having five kids who all learn differently? Yeah, that's one of the very first things whenever I coach parents in homeschooling is to look at their child's learning style. Mm-hmm. Because all of us learn differently, and it's important to know their learning style. There's all kind of assessments online to help you to understand, are they a, an auditory learner, visual learner, um, kinesthetic learner, you know, meaning are they more hands-on mm-hmm. with learning? That is going to help you tremendously, you know, because if you think that just because your other child learns this way, then you start yelling at the other kid, well, why aren't you learning this mm-hmm. way? Like, for example, my oldest daughter, she was able to do her four years of high school online. My next daughter coming along who just graduated college, she hates online learning. Mm -hmm. It doesn't work for her, you know. And so I realized they had two different learning styles. And so that is very important for a parent to do that, to really assess the way their child learns, observe them. How do they learn? Are they, you know, do they learn when they're, you know, are they able to play music? Some Mm -hmm. kids study better when they play music. You know, you got the child that bounces around. Maybe you should do more project-based learning Mm -hmm. um, to help them to reinforce, or maybe they need to watch documentaries. Instead of forcing them to read a book, maybe they can listen to an Mm e-book. So I think it challenges us as parents, um, as home home, um, educators, to look at the way our children learn, mm-hmm. you know, because a lot of times in school, it's a one size fits all. Yeah. They're not going to really cater to the learning styles of 25 children in a classroom. Yeah. Let, let me ask now um, some some practical questions or throw some practical realities at you and have you respond. So how do you manage um, 
home educating, homeschooling, when you're doing it, obviously, in your home uh, and all the distractions that that can represent. Because in TV, at school, you ain't got a bunch of TVs and other things. You can, you know, what, uh, whatever the games all these kids play nowadays. When, when I was around, it was Nintendo and Atari. Shows you how old I am, right? Yeah. But, I don't, what, but you, got, you got games. You got games. You got televisions in every room. You got snacks in the kitchen. Everybody wants a snack break all the time. You have this. You have that. How, just those sort of practical uh, issues that might impact focus for your children. How do you how do you handle all that stuff? Um, well, we don't have TVs in every room. Right. That's the thing. Like we have one TV in the house, and mm-hmm. that TV is off. You mm-hmm. know, during the day, you have to put structure there. Um, and as far as getting snacks and things like that, um, we allow that. Yeah. You know, like our son has a lot of energy. If he went to school, they would diagnose him with ADHD mm-hmm. without a doubt. Mm-hmm. But being at home, he's allowed to be his himself. authentic self. Sure, sure, sure. He's able to take those breaks. He's able to study for 20 minutes, get up, move around without judgment. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And he's he's learning a lot. This kid is like a little mini historian. He can mm-hmm. tell you so much about history. Um and I love that. I love the fact that he could run outside. You know, we got 46 acres. Mm-hmm. When he's, you know, needs to get that energy out, go run. Mm-hmm. You know, go take a 10-minute run and come back. Mm-hmm. You know, so we don't restrict our children from, you know, when they need to take take breaks. Yeah. Um, for some of your children, it's, it's the only thing they know. So they can't compare it to public right. education. But did you, have you ever had any pushback from your kids about not wanting to be homeschooled? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. My oldest one is very social. Like she was like, oh, this is the end of the world. You know, <laughs> like, oh, man, I'm missing friends and I'm missing all these people. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so definitely we had pushback yeah. from the, and, and so, and, and so how, how did she, how did, how did you, how did she get her mind right? As we would say, in um, the, in the... it's as a home educator, it's important that you don't isolate your kids, that right. we, we involved her in the community. She was doing, um, you know, doing things because at, in most States, homeschool kids can still play sports. Mm-hmm. So she was on the basketball team at a local high school, although oh, cool. she, and so running track and right. things like that. Yeah. Um, that I, I didn't realize that, but that sounds like that's a pretty cool idea mm-hmm. that in most states, even if you're homeschooled, you can still participate in athletics at a school. Yep. yep that's the law in yeah. most states like Florida, even Montana kids, homeschool kids are allowed to do sports as well as music. They can right. participate in the music program at the schools. That's cool. I like that. Um, I got more questions. She's got more answers. Her name is Pamela Smith. We're talking about homeschooling black children. You're listening to Tavis Smiley. This is getting good. Yeah, man. Tab is smiling. Smiley continues when we come forward. 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 He's rooting for everybody black. Everybody black. black. More of Tab is Smiley coming your way right now. Right now. More of Pamela Smith coming your way right now, talking about homeschooling. So here's my question: um, If you are an African American parent and you have heard what uh, Pamela Smith has said, and you've heard what I've said moments ago, that the data. Uh, underscores that more black parents are considering and choosing, not just considering, but choosing homeschooling for their kids. Um, What's your best advice on how, uh, not what decision to make, but what the process is for going about making that decision for your child? Um, I would say you really need to look at um, your, uh, your availability. Mm -hmm. Like there's a lot of parents that want to homeschool, 
Um, but if you're working full time, you really have to look at that. You may have to look into having a job that where you can work from home mm-hmm. or you, if you have help, like my husband and I, you know, running a business and homeschooling, we were able to take turns like mm-hmm. tag teaming when he needed to go to the office. I was home with the kids, vice versa. Um, so we had a really good support system. I would say you really need to see, make sure you have a support system if you're going to start homeschooling, mm-hmm. if you are also um, working or running a business. Yep. Um, I I keep reading. You tell me if I'm right about this. You mentioned curriculum earlier. I keep reading, uh, born in part of all the parents who are choosing to homeschool, uh, not just black, but across the country, but certainly the numbers in black America, as I said earlier, are rising. I, I keep reading that because of um, that reality, that there's more and more stuff available online, curriculum and beyond, for you to do this successfully. Because you, you got, I mean, even if you decide you want to homeschool your kid, then the first question is, okay, where do I go? Where do I get the resources? So I, I my, 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 my research suggests to me that 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 the resources are becoming much much more plentiful than they used to be. Yeah, definitely yeah. more than when I started. Yeah. You know, there was a lot back when I started. The biggest curriculum was this um, conservative-based curriculum, mm. and it was, you know, one of the I won't call the name of this curriculum, sure. um, but one of the passages from their history book said that enslaved Africans realized that it was better to be free from um, sin Mm. than it was to be free from the shackles they were in. Mm. This is the damage that can be done through curriculum. Mm -hmm. And I knew early on we would not use that curriculum. So for me, it was really creating unit studies mm-hmm. using literature you going to the library and really teaching them history from books because there were you know there were not curriculum out there yeah. to teach accurate history to our children yeah. who wrote that curriculum was that was that written by Ron DeSantis that was that was a joke, was a joke. <laughs> well the the the, <laughs> the 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 school that wrote that curriculum is in Florida is in Florida yeah, yeah. I, I, so, somehow I'm not surprised <laughs> Somehow I am not surprised to hear that. And in the fine print, you may find DeSantis' name somewhere, but I, I digress on that. Uh, when we come forward in our remaining moments with Pamela Smith, we'll uh, put the uh, the penultimate question to her, which is what are the benefits to black parents who decide, who choose to homeschool their children? You're listening to Pamela Smith on Tavis Smiley. More of Tavis Smiley when we come forward. More honesty than you can handle. More empowerment than you can imagine. You're tuned in to Tavis Smiley. Tavis Smiley and Pamela Smith as we uh, wrap this conversation about black homeschooling. Many parents are choosing to uh, homeschool their kids to shield them from racial discrimination and all these microaggressions that are often perpetrated uh, in these uh, white settings. Um, It's also an option for parents with uh, special needs, uh, parents who have kids, rather, with special needs. So for a lot of reasons, a lot of black parents are choosing, as I said earlier, these days to homeschool their kids. And I want to close these last three minutes uh, by asking uh, Pamela Smith to to give me a a, a nice hearty list of the benefits uh, that you have uh, encountered or experienced homeschooling your babies. Um, The number one thing for me is being able to see the gifts in my kids and cultivate those gifts, Mm -hmm. Um, being able to see, you know, being able to cater their curriculum, you know, in school, it's it's a one size fits all. Mm -hmm. Like with my son having a passion for airplanes, I can cater that 
his um, curriculum towards that. Mm-hmm. You know, look for opportunities. We can travel. You know, we do a lot of world schooling where our kids are learning outside of the classroom, which I think is some of the best learning. You know, I can protect them. You know, I don't have to worry about school shootings or violence or anything like that. And I don't have to worry about, um, you know, racism that a lot of our black kids, like, for example, the student down in um, Houston right now Mm -hmm. who is is being punished for having braids in his hair. Mm -hmm. You know, your children get to be their authentic selves. Um, And you can also accelerate your kids. My daughter got her AA degree in high school. Mm. So when she graduated um, high school, she already had an AA degree. Mm -hmm. So, you know, a lot of times in school, there's a lot of busy work. So she was able to take college credits and she got her AA degree for free as well. Mm -hmm. And so you can accelerate them um, and, and they can graduate a lot sooner. So, you know, there's, there's so many things you can you can really do with with through homeschooling. Are you at all concerned about this goes back to your older daughter, uh, your eldest daughter, who you referenced earlier? Are you at all concerned ultimately about their social interaction, about developing their interpersonal skills? I um, the socialization thing is a myth. Mm-hmm. Um, people okay. say, well, kids, you need your kids in school so they can socialize. Well, when they go to school, the teacher tells them what? They tell them to hush. You're you're not here to talk. Mm -hmm. And socializing with only kids that are your child's age is not true socialization. For Mm -hmm. example, my 14-year-old just got her first job in Montana. Mm -hmm. She's interacting with people of all ages. So I find that my kids are better socialized Mm -hmm. than children that are in the school systems because they're learning from their parents, the grandparents, people in in their community. Um, So I've never had an issue with my children um, socializing. Yeah. Those interpersonal skills are really important, obviously, um, for anything you want to do in life successfully. And I just find that this, this is a conversation about that's much broader than homeschooling. I just find that these kids today lack interpersonal skills, period, because they're always on their devices. Right. They're just not interacting with other people as much. And so their interpersonal skills just lack. Right. They're lacking, I should say. And that, that, that concerns me, but I, but, um, but I, I hear your point. Well, I am glad that you made your way down from uh, Montana uh, to Los Angeles. Uh, and I'm glad that um, uh, we had a chance to talk to you in this hour about homeschooling. Uh, I close the game uh, by saying something must be there must be something here uh, because a lot of black parents are choosing to to go in this uh, in this direction. So all the best to you and Reginald and um, and those and those babies. I, I was laughing because you said you have a two year old. Yep. Uh, I ain't in your business, but it sounds like a pandemic baby to me. Yes, it was. <laughs> <laughs> I am not trying to get your business, but that sounds like a pandemic, baby. Yes. Okay, I'll, I'm going to leave that. I'm going to leave that right where it is. Our name is Pamela Smith. I've enjoyed having you on this program, Pamela. Enjoy L.A. Get back safely to Montana, and I'm going to hold you to that. When I get past Black History Month and I need a break, Yes. I may come to Montana. Yes, we'll be waiting on you. All right. Uh, leave, leave the light on for me, as okay. they say. All right. <laughs>